Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. So I'm going to jump in right now because we have a special guest. You know, I do that very occasionally. And this is this woman is very special indeed. Her name is Linda Sievertson, and she is a book midwife. She has brought many, many books into the world, including her most recent book, Aww. which is The Beautiful Writers. And um, it's and it's a very interesting book on how to write a book because it's not only Linda's story, which we'll get into in a minute here, but it's dozens, like maybe even how many? 60. 60 like 62 of you. Who are, how would you define the, are they all writers or? All, the, all best-selling authors. Yeah. Yeah. 60 best-selling authors quoted yeah. here. Legends um, like yourself. My idols. I'm a legend in my own mind. Um, yeah. So it's the combined wisdom of a bunch of successful authors with Linda's um, very, very informed take from having midwifed so many books. So I just want to, can I just ask you questions? Oh, please, please, okay. please. So you say in the begin at the beginning of the book that you always wanted to be a writer. Yeah. My question, this is me getting all life coachy on you, right? Go for it. Why? So I remember my earliest memories are being a little girl in our den library growing up. And my sister was obsessed with school. I was not. I thought, well, I should just study the fun stuff. So I would go into my parents' den library and read about astrology and the lost city of Atlantis and mm. um, the Renaissance painters and Guggenheim's printing press and like cheese logs from Bon Appetit magazine. And I was in heaven. And I, I don't know. I just always, I always knew, always knew, so, but I didn't feel smart enough growing up. So that ah, was tricky. That's very overrated. So was it, was it the, that you just wanted to add to the catalogs of adventures or was it that you wanted to be in the pages? I've met writers who want to just, they identify with the people in the pages yeah. and then other people who want to be in the world of right of yeah. like people who create explorers and creative writers, which are you? Um, I think I'm a creative writer. And I remember thinking as a kid that there was nothing better you could do with your life, not even being president of the United States or a movie star. <laughs> so did you have, I always talk to clients about an ideal day where you imagine several years or decades ahead yeah. and you picture the day you will have on, on an ordinary day in your ideal life. Mm. I wonder if, as because you're really, really good at uh, goal setting and imagination. I want to talk more about that later. Yeah. But like, what was the image you had of your life as a successful author? And does it match what you've now come to live? Great question. My father's best friend, so my uncle Chuck, was a New York Times bestselling author. He had sold six million copies of Whoa. a book, a book called The Second Son. Huh. That that Stallone and and Redford and Newman and everybody wanted to make. It was like MGM bidding wars the whole bit. Wow! And um, so he would come to town. We lived in San, near San Francisco, and he was in LA. And he would come to town in his limo on book tours and take me and my sister with him. Mm. And we would be waiting in the limo while he'd run up and do some press and then come back. And I remember thinking, "Holy sh! This is like it. This is what I want." And then I had a weird goal to help save forests. And I thought, well, the only way to help 
heal the world is to have a big enough sort of megaphone. Mm -hmm. And I saw that he had it and that's what I wanted. Fabulous. So does does your life now match what you expected when you were watching him? Yes and no. So he went through, um, he was a little bit of a wild partier kind of guy. And Mm -hmm. I was like a super devoted, almost like religiously devoted wife. So Mm -hmm. to me, it was all about like being wife and mother during the day and writing all night and not sleeping for decades. So as you and I've talked about, so, um, so yes and no, I think the, the tree sort of influence that I always hope to have is becoming a lot stronger now. So I didn't know it would take this long. Yeah. And, and it's all and perfect. So this is what, I mean, I was asking these questions because I know a lot of, there are a lot of um, writers, potential writers, um, hopeful writers who yeah. kind of hang out around both you and me. And what I wanted to tell people was, the fantasy last time I was on your show about a week ago and I was talking about a guy who I'm sure is not watching me. At this point. He came, I was, I was trying to help him with a book. Um, the cancer, know. the wife's cancer book. Yes. And he goes, he said to me, well, I've never actually read a book, not a cover to cover. And I, I've never thought of writing one, but I need a few million dollars fast. So I'm going to be writing. And um, it was not really, as I said, a salvageable manuscript, but I think people jump over, they're jumping to that image of running in from a limo into a big building and doing a broadcast, (sighs) running out and going to the next place in your limo. And the reality, I think for every writer I've ever met is that it's decades of incredible persistence. And I, that is what you are one of the most persistent people I have ever met. No doubt. So can you, just because it's exciting to hear these stories, uh, the stories of things that didn't go well, that then turned out well. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about if you had any like dark nights of the soul? <laughs> one of those. Oh my gosh. Well, there's a part of the storyline where I'm in a support group of women and we're young and we're idealistic. And there's a musician who's been in a a couple of failed bands, but did pretty well, but she's looking for her big thing. And there's an actress who's looking for her big thing and two actresses. And I'm, I'm like really devoted to this group and I love this group and I'm a new writer and breastfeeding mom and sleep deprived the whole bit. And over the course of the book, you see that I dump these girlfriends and I just need to be alone. And I go out to the woods and I'm like, I'll, I'll deal with them when my book is done. Like everybody leave me the F alone. Like I'm just trying to get my book done. I've got a kid and a crazy husband and like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And yeah. I shouldn't say crazy. Uh, energe- energetic. <laughs> energetic. Very energetic. Very, very energetic family. Right. And um, it's a bit of a, a storm and I'm just trying to keep it together. So I don't have time for friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm in that solitude phase where I'm going to the forest, literally. Mm-hmm. And then one by one, they become world famous. I mean, world famous. Number one movie in America, number one song in America, number one cable TV show in America, Emmy Award, like the whole lot of them all become world famous. Wow. And I don't want to be a fair weather friend. I've been in LA long enough at that time where I know that as soon as somebody gets famous, everybody comes out of the woodwork and I'm not going to do that. Mm. So I don't call any of them. And Mm. I go through desperate jealousy as, you know, I can't go to Walmart without seeing them on the TVs and the billboards and everywhere I go, they're on magazine covers and everything. 
And by the end of the book, there's a really great resolve about it, but it's just funny. It's like, you know, everybody's popping but me. Wow. That, that must've been like, I think what people know, what I like to do on the gathering room is sort of meet people at a place where life is difficult and find a way yeah. out of that. So, yeah. you know, I so admire your ability to push on yeah. Like in that. So you're in Walmart. You're looking at pictures <laughs> of all your friends who are all world famous. You're feeling jealous. You're trying to be a good friend. That sounds really hard. Yeah. And then there's the stuff. Of, then there's the work of actually writing, which is right. very, very hard in a totally different way. Right. So standing there in the Walmart, what mental magic do you do? that allows you to take in a breath, go home and get to the hard work of writing where nobody's keeping you company and nobody. <laughs> well, okay. So funny aside was I really missed them. I missed them dearly. Mm -hmm. I just thought I was going to disappear for a while. I didn't think I was going to dump them. So I really miss them. So I, in Walmart, I went to see if one of the action figures of one of these women was available. And the lady <laughs> goes, Oh, they're the number one action figure doll in the world. And they're all sold out. Oh so, my God. so I thought, okay, I actually have to be my own hero mm. because I was, Martha, I was tortured. I mean, I would dream about them. I would hear their music on loops in my head from morning till night. And um, I was tortured. And so I would go out into the forest every day and I would hug this circle of trees and mm. I would just beg, beg mother nature to take my jealousy because I said, wow. how can I help you? I'm talking to the trees. How can I help you? If I'm like a hot mess of anger, <laughs> I mean, it just, I, I knew enough that it couldn't happen and I waited it out. It took a while. I had to hug those trees every single day and get on my knees on the mother, kiss the dirt and say, please take this from me. And it, wow. I wrote a men's letters. I wrote, I wrote letters to them because I didn't want to call. I didn't want, I didn't want to expect them to, to have to hear me. But I wrote letters and I said, you don't have to contact me. I just want you to know I'm happy for you. Wow. And I was happy, not really totally, but I was a little bit. So I focused on that. And then one day I woke up and I, and I wasn't jealous anymore. And I was happy for them. Wow. Now during this period of time, I'm, I'm just going to drill into this because I've, I'm curious because of my own experiences. Were you actually able to write where, when you were in that phase where you were tortured and you were banging? Oh, yes. In really? fact, it's some of my favorite stuff. And I, oh. I copy and pasted it from, so I was writing a memoir, which you read called My oh, yeah. Life Mess from years ago. And, um, and I have always used writing as a way to stay sane. So mm -hmm. if I'm going through a tough time with my ex-husband or my kid or jealousy, like in this situation, I had to write about it. So it was almost like a diary, but, but better, like, you know, a beginning, middle and end. I ultimately became a magazine editor for a long time. And I, I love to tell a story of beginning, middle and end. And so I told these scenes just for my own enjoyment, not knowing I would ever use them, but for my own enjoyment. And, um, and then years and years later, like two years ago, when I was working on this book, I found them. I did a control F find in my computer and just like found them right. and then copied and paste. And I, you know, I had to make some edits, but you no, know, that raw, like painful stuff. That's the best time to write. It's not the best time to publish. Right. You yeah. know, like what, what I, I have in the book, I say, um, write when you're bleeding, publish uh, write when you're uh, published, when you're no longer bleeding, write when you are. Mm. So I love to write when I'm bleeding. 
So, oh, this is really, really interesting because I did a lot of that when the two memoirs I wrote in my life were of difficult periods in my life. And yes, two I of the best memoirs of all time, expecting Adam and leaving the saints. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. So thank you very much. But um, yeah, I, I, I had to write to stay sane, as you yeah. said. Yeah. And then, but, but I had to wait. It was almost exactly 10 years in yeah. each case to the point where I could say I can go in there and completely... Well, the way I always say it is in my journal, I show up to get attention. I get my own attention. I get the, the attention of the divine or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's all about me, me, me. And then when I sit down to, to edit, 10 years later is what it takes me. I don't sure. know how long it takes other people. Um, I have to say, how do I make this show up to give attention? Right. It has to be universal. It can't just be about staring at your navel, as you said on the on it, has, show. it has to be. It's it's so difficult because it's kind of a magic trick. Instead of look at me, it's I see you. But yeah. you're alone when you do it. Yeah. So yeah. how do you like, do you have a methodology for connecting with this is what I always do. I said this to a really famous writer once. I was like, you can feel the energy of the people reading. And you can feel it whether they're reading now, whether they read in the past, or whether they're reading in the future. And I thought he'd be a totally down this. And he was like, that is not my experience. <laughs> That's not my experience either. I'll tell you what my experience is. My <laughs> best gauge now is do I love it? And where am I bored? Oh, if I'm bored, read it and I have to read it out loud. Huh. If, I'm re if I'm reading it out loud and I am bored anywhere, that piece goes or I rewrite it. Oh, how interesting. But if it brings me joy, Mm -hmm. I have found it will bring me joy five years from now, 10 years from now. I mean, my first book, I go back every once in a while and look at something and it still brings me joy. Wow. So it's like Marie Kondo's system for keeping yes. your possessions. If it yes. sparks joy, you keep it. Doesn't matter what it is. That's it exactly right. Trash it no matter what it is. Yeah, let's figure if I love it, somebody else will love it too, because we're all so similar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What is most personal is most general. Yeah. So another thing, I mean, the gathering room, which is where we are now, um, is for me all about exploring spirituality. I am not religious, but I am fascinated by spirituality. Same. Same. And you're the same. So, you know, like the, when you end up in a book group where everyone you know becomes famous, to the point of having action figures made of them. No, horrible. <laughs> But like, I know a lot of people who went to LA to make their fortunes or went to New York to find, to make their fortunes. And they were getting out there. They were going to the parties where they were meeting the people, yeah. kissing babies, shaking hands, the whole deal. And they never met anyone who got famous. I was yes. in like five book groups myself. And yeah. like, it's just, so when I see that happening, I call it fractaling that you've created this energy that somehow connects with a fractal of energy that is very, very, very successful. Yeah. So how, two questions. Yeah. How do you think that group came together? Really? Wow. Like energetic level. Wow. And then my second question, which I will repeat if you need me to, why did it initially not work for you? Go. Whoa. <gasps> so deep. Ah, why? Okay. Okay. I think fame in my family was the ultimate pinnacle. So my mm. mother's mother died when she was nine. And my mother had a very, very lonely and sad childhood. And she spent it in movie theaters, double features. Wow. So by the time I met my mother, she was an aficionado on everything Hollywood. She knew every mm. single celebrity and all about them, names of children and the whole bit. So I think 
there was a lot of hero worship about fame from her. Mm. And then my father was a friend to Kings. So he was very much a normal guy, stockbroker, never got wealthy. Well, he did, but he didn't sell. So by the time he died, all those millions were gone. Mm. Um, but he was friends with celebrities loved my father because he was ethical and he could talk. I remember somebody told me at his funeral that they saw Nixon bawling in my father's arms What in the forest. Okay. So my dad was a member of a men's a group vision or did it really happen? No, no, it really happened. My dad was a member of the Bohemian club, which is very controversial. It's super Republican. Um, like all the Republican presidents were like heads of this thing. My father was not asked to be in it because he was some bigwig. He was asked to be in it because he had such an encyclopedia knowledge of music that he became the librarian for the orchestra. So, so he was always with these world famous people and they worshiped him. Huh. So I think I just learned early on that if you really wanted to have fun, you were going to be with the movers and shakers because they were doing amazing stuff. So how did you find these people who weren't famous when you met them, right? I don't know. Like, how did you know? They found me. Okay, so they invited me. I was in a store with my then husband. Mm -hmm. And one of the gal who was heading up the group was in the store. And she loved my husband. They got, they were talking, talking. And she said, you need to come to our support group on Wednesday night. And I didn't want to go. I was like, uh, I'm not really a joiner because I'm not. I love to be alone. I'm obsessed with being alone. I'm like, ah, no. And she was like, if you don't like it, you can quit. And I was like, okay. And, and yeah. And, um, and why I was uncomfortable ultimately, as you were saying, was because they were too big for me. Mm. So they were glam and they were cutting edge and they were, they knew that spiritual technology. And I was like, I felt like a little bit of like the character Dory the witch <laughs> um, in this children's book I loved where Dory, like her socks were always mismatched and her, and her little witchy hat was always on crooked. That was me. Like I never felt like I fit in anywhere growing up. I was always the weird occult girl who didn't think normal. And so um, it was hard for me to be in that group as much as I loved it and loved them. So your energy went in one direction because of your socialization, the way your mom and dad were. Yeah. But then there was this big part of you that clearly didn't feel comfortable there. Yeah. And like, how do you feel now with this book with 60, 60 different um, bestselling authors contributing? Yeah. To book? Do you feel like you've broken through? Do you feel like that discomfort is, is have you shattered that glass ceiling yet? That's a great question. Because that's what people need to know. Every, we all have the ideal yeah. dream. And we've all had experiences of like seeing other people do better than we have. And like, what is yeah. wrong with me? Yeah. And yours is just very, very dramatic. Right. So you seem to have punched through this glass ceiling that you placed on yourself. But I want to know how you did it. it. You know what? It was every single day working on my craft. Because eventually I got to the point where I was so confident in the beauty of my stories that that I thought, okay, if I am too insecure to publish these, I have to get over myself because these stories are alive mm -hmm. and they want to be out there. And I've been dragging around, dragging them around on my ankles, like body bags. Like they, wow. you guys know anybody out there who's been writing a story for a long time, you know, you carry it with you everywhere. That sucker does not go away. Yep. And, um, 
And so I trust in that. And I keep saying to myself, Linda, to show up. Are you insecure? Yes. Do you feel like scared out of your mind some days? A hundred percent. Do you feel like you've had enough sleep and you're prepared enough? No. Have I even called the publicist at my publisher to follow up on 72 things I was supposed to? No. So this is not comfortable for me at all, mm. but I, I'm, I'm forcing myself to show up because I believe in the vision. Wow. That just remember that everyone show up because you believe in your vision. Okay. We have a lot of questions. Yeah. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. Um, so we've got one. Uh, Ro, are you creating, uh, curating these on the screen? So Marcia says, what are the quirkiest writing habits that you collected for the book? Oh, that's interesting. Quirkiest writing habits. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Quirkiest. Mm. I mean, everybody has like a different way about them. So you and Cheryl Strayed both read literature that blows your mind before you write. Like you inspire yourselves with like great literature. Um, other people just wake up in the middle of the night and go for it. You know, they, they're like stealing time like me. Like, oh my God, I've got an hour. <laughs> Let's go. I never read anything. Hardly ever. I do, I do every once in a while I did. Um, some people... Oh gosh, quirky. I have a I have a story about one gal. She couldn't get her writing done. And she said to her husband, okay, I'm taking half of a Saturday every single week from now on. And mm -hmm. I'm going to a coffee shop and you're keeping the kids. And like she comes home and the house is a bomb and there's like there's there's crumbs in the kids' shoes and there's socks in the toaster and, and like the kids are now, you know, college football, brilliant. But, but it works. So, you know, we're all just meddling through. I don't know that there's anything quirky that I can remember, but I'll tell you, there's a million different examples of how we're all wrangling time and it's not easy. Yeah. Wrangling time. That's a great phrase for it. Okay. So Dr. Donna says, do you write with an audience in mind or do you just write? So Liz Gilbert always has one person. She's I like, know. I try. I have six. Always. You have six? Yeah. Right yeah, now. Choose different for each book. Yeah, I got nobody. I, I think about that all the time. I'm like, well, Liz has one person. Who's my one person? And initially, it was when I was working on the memoir, it was Aditi Karana. I, call, I called mm -hmm. Aditi, who was on our pub celebration show that you were on. And I called Aditi. I said, I'm going to write this to you. And she was like, oh, thank you. And then I forgot. And I just, I just write the stories that I love. So, okay. So, again, there are as many different ways to do this as there are individuals. Okay, Tony says, I can relate to writing when at our lowest, as Linda spoke on. My question for her is about focus and setup. Question, what is your cocoon, Linda? When in pain and doubt, she writes. Where in the physical world is her fluidity world? Mm. Thank you. So yeah, where do you go into a cocoon? Where you First can thing in the morning, first thing. I've gotten really good and selfish about it. So 
I wake up and I call it my bed office. I make sure I've got water and an apple by the bed. Um, I wake up early so the dogs don't want to go out yet, which is heaven. So like four, four or five a.m. For many years, I wrote at three a.m. It was nuts. Um, and I, I was very careful to safeguard my energy so that I could do it. So it's all in the storyline, but I was very extreme about safeguarding my energy and it worked for a really long time. Don't ask me how, because if I tried to wake up at 3am now, I would die. Um, but I don't eat as well as I used to, you know, I don't have the same good habits that I used to. I've gotten lazier over time. I have food habits, but if I had to get up at three in the morning, you would just have to take me out back and hit me with a shovel and raise a good pig instead. So, yeah, 3 a.m. You deserve all the success yeah. in the world. Okay. Adrian says, my question for both, what time do you ride and how long per session? That's exactly first thing in yeah. the morning. Yeah. It's best for me if I can do it first thing in the morning as well. But I have been known to just like lately, I am, I'm so obsessed with this book proposal I'm writing. I write on my phone. Yes. While the physical therapist has yes. acupuncture needles in my feet, yeah. I write on my phone while I'm getting my hair cut. I get yeah. so it's it's become constant, and I just yeah. got touching the book because touch it every day. That's what Danny Shapiro says. Yeah, if I just touch it, it stays in my mind. Yeah. Where if I don't touch it for several days, it falls apart. So I I touch it now several. Yeah. Just, that sounds really weird. I touch no, my, no, so, I love it. I do the same <laughs> thing. I what I love to do is. I'll, do you use Scrivener? Have you ever used Scrivener latte and literature? Is like trying to open a padlock with my it's, nose. It's, it's very, very hard. I actually hired somebody online to help me decipher it and figure it out. Um, but I, I do love it. So I'll put my chapters in Scrivener and then I also have it on my phone. So if I'm at a doctor's office or somewhere, which I, I love this so much, I'll pull up a chapter and I read. And when I have to edit it, rather than edit it on the phone, I don't want to do that. I take a screenshot, I email it to myself with the edit, and then I come home and I just make all the, I just email, email, just knock them out, and I make all the edits. That's, you know what I do? I, I'm driving along and I'm like, hey, Siri, <laughs> write about like, um, write about that jellyfish that ages in reverse so it never dies. And then Siri says something like, Ride along with the horsey pony. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, that's not it. But I have a little something to remind yes. myself. Yes. It, it, it's funny. We were we we came to write a book to talk about a book on writing, and we yeah. are talking about writing. But we're also mainly talking about time, which yes. is a really interesting thing. That time is the limiting factor, and we live in this world that we're so starved for time. Yeah. To find something soulful that you pictured in the world. You really have to be incredibly persistent and incredible, not just persistent in hanging on, but in going back, going back, going back, Constant. carving out space for it, carving out time. Yeah. It's really fascinating. So Dore says, I enjoy writing and need it as a personal therapy process. I feel as if I have something unique to share, but it feels icky to consider that other people would find my writing and thoughts worth the effort to read. Did you find yourself with similar feelings? How did you process that? No, I'm grandiose. I always thought I had something to share, like no icky. Um, hmm. What I did have, what slightly similar is I had the voices of mean girls, high school mean girls hmm, in yes. my head. And I have a chapter about those mean girls and I'm actually going to see them in a couple of weeks at my high school reunion. So That's that should be fun. That should be fun. I didn't name them, but they Thank will know. Copy. They will know who they are. <laughs> right. 
Um, but but I definitely had to deal with the the kids in school who thought I was stupid mm. and made sure that I knew about it because I was in the bottom third of my high school graduating class. I was late every single day to English. It was the first period. I I was you know raised in right. the, San, the San Francisco Bay Area, so wow. my hair was my hair was always frizzy. I would cry sometimes on the way to school because I could feel it. I could feel it freezing. And God forbid I get to class on time. I mean, no way. So people would laugh. I would parade in, like, you know, get my confident walk going into, into English class. And people still to this day tease me about it. So nobody expected me to be book smart. Wow. It's amazing how different our backgrounds can be and all headed for the same way. Like, okay, so Gail says, this is for Linda. Did you ever do you ever find your spiritual life and literary life are at odds with each other? Do you behave mm. differently in different communities or social situations? And if so, how do you make your peace with it? That's so interesting. You know, I've always seen my writing as a spiritual practice. I, I studied with Guru Singh, who is a, a great character in the book, who predicted my career early on and gave me a lot of confidence. And he, get, he kept giving me these prescriptions for meditations and I could do meditation. I got kind of good at it every once in a while. And then I would always like ditch it because I wanted to write. Hmm. And ultimately he said to me, your writing is your meditation. So to me, writing always was a spiritual practice. Um, the fight that I've constantly had in my life is I am so in love with that process and so sort of self-contained that the people in my life are kind of like, Hey, uh, can we have a little more attention? So, uh, so I've really had to learn how to be very, very present with my people when I'm with them. Uh -huh. And um, that has been the biggest challenge of my life is just, you know, when I'm with somebody not to be trying to rewrite the chapter in my head mm. or get back to it as soon as possible. Yeah. Isaac Asimov said, every moment of my life has either been spent writing or wanting to write. You know, it's an addiction. It's a, it's a, it's a sickness. I think it is. We talked about this on, on your podcast the other day. It's definitely yeah. logical, but Hey, I don't suffer from insanity. I enjoy it. Exactly. So, uh, for, for all y'all out there who think that you could never make a dream come true. Just, I mean, here's someone who's made a dream come true in so many ways and featuring a whole bunch of other really amazing writers who've made their dreams come true. It's all compiled in one book. So if you want to write or if you just want to live a dream, yeah, check it out. And Martha, your pieces are beyond. I right. mean, you're, you're, the, the stuff that you share in the book, both from the podcast and that you gave me after the fact, written stuff, ah. is some of the most magical stuff in the book. It's, well, there's a I lot love. of magic in this book. And I think there's a lot of magic flowing through you. And I cannot wait to go to Walmart and get your action figure. <sighs> That's not happening, dude. That, that is, is the plus. That you know, we're, I'm friends again with this whole group. We're all friends. Oh yeah. Oh my god, we laughed. Yeah, I had them read it just to make sure that they were cool with it, and um, uh, we laugh about those days. Jeez. Fantastic. So everybody, your dreams can come true. Um, throw out an ideal day scenario and then persist and go back and bash away and touch it every day. That sounded weird. Um, <laughs> but seriously, stay on the frequency of your dreams. It really can happen. And Linda Sievertson and her book are here to prove it. Do you see how I dress to match it? Oh my gosh, right. I love. Lots of love to you, Linda, and to all the wonderful people out in the gallery. Love you. Love Thanks, you. guys. Bye. Bye.
For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. 